Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's pandemic edition of Sustainability Now. I'm your host, Justin Mogg, here on Forward Radio, keeping myself in quarantine. People said I'm a positive person, and this week I have tested positive for COVID, so I'm joining you from my virtual home studio here, but still coming to you on Forward Radio, your community radio station. You can find us at 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. This is your station. We want you to be a part of it. And uh, it all starts by going to forwardradio.org and uh, clicking on participate. Uh, you could do a one-time access hour, a weekly program like this, or be a guest on a show. And we also need your sponsorship to stay on the air. Your dollars keep us going. And you can donate at forwardradio.org. Speaking of dollars that help keep us going, I'm so excited to have a representative from one of our community partners on the show today. Community partners of Forward Radio are nonprofits in our region that help fund us as well. They chip in a few bucks every year to sustain Forward Radio because they believe in the mission. And one of those groups is the Greater Louisville Sierra Club. You've heard me mention them on the show many times in our community calendar, but I don't think I've ever sat down with anyone specific. I, you know, there's lots of people involved in the Sierra Club, but as a representative of the club, I'm so thrilled to finally get in the virtual studio with me, Terrell Holder, who is chair of our Greater Louisville Sierra Club. Welcome, Terrell. Thank you, Justin. Glad to be here. Yes, glad to have you here virtually as well. Glad we finally connected. Uh, if folks want to learn more about the Greater Louisville Sierra Club, you can find the chapter at sierraclub.org slash Kentucky. Or you can also connect with this, them on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Louisville Sierra Club. Terrell, how long have you been chair now? Uh, this is my second year in this seat, but um, I've been on the executive committee for about five years now, five or six okay. years. Okay. Okay. So, and tell us about the club. This is obviously a national organization with a lot of local chapters and Greater Louisville Sierra Club's been around a while, I'm sure. What sure, do you all do? Sure. Well, it's a, it's, it's a really good question because um, I think a lot of people that know of the Sierra Club think of it as the national organization. When we're a national organization with chapters in every state and multiple groups that are attached to the chapters. And uh, one of the things that really excites me or, or really fits me really well is the fact that our group operates semi-autonomously. That is, we get to choose what we do. We get to decide what directions we're going in our advocacy work. We don't have to ask the chapter or the national group what we're right, doing right. or tell you would have to get permission. So we yeah. operate <laughs> in, in reality as a as a local, a small local uh, grassroots activist organization. But on top of that, we, you know, with our autonomy and everything, we do have the, the benefits of the infrastructure provided by the national group. That, for example, uh, we have web presence that is free to us through the national group. We use their platform, their templates, uh, and that's really pretty easy to work yeah. with. So we get web, web support. We also get the support of um, their vast membership database. Right. We can run our reports. The other day, I ran a report for people just in Jefferson County, as opposed to our group area, which includes Jefferson County and another 13 counties surrounding us in Kentucky. So okay. I wanted to get a message just to our people. 
or just to the Jefferson County folks because it was relevant to them and um, not bother the other <laughs> 13 counties, members in the other 13 right, counties right. with uh, an extra email they don't need. So we have, and, and our newsletter is hosted by our national group and their technology that allows us to do all kinds of interesting and, and strong technology things. Yeah. So we get the benefit of the national group, the support of the state chapter, and get to operate pretty independently. So it's a really win win for me because uh, I feel like while, while I speak, Drew Foley is the chapter chair and the groups like the Louisville group are a part of the chapter. So Drew and I can come up with some um, yeah, you know, we have a plan. We can operate it. We can do the plan if we communicate. It's it's really freeing, and um, I think that's a powerful thing. So tell us about yourself, Terrell. How did you get involved in the Sierra Club, and where did your interest in sustainability come from? Oh gosh, um, well, I'm an older dude, so uh, um, <laughs> I was a senior in high school, and you can do the math here. But I was a senior <laughs> in high school in 1970. And of course, you know, 1970 was a pretty important year. The first Earth Day. First Earth Day, the beginning of the beginning to get Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act passed just a couple of years later. So all of this was blooming at that particular time. And I was on the, I guess, the green side of the table, <laughs> even as a high school student. And I actually walked down 4th Street when it used to be a, a, the big boulevard in town. Right. On that first Earth Day. I don't even remember what the topic was. I remember it had something to do with the waterfront being full of um, of huge gasoline storage tanks and junkyards. And and the waterfront was was quite different before uh, waterfront years ago than it is now. So, uh, yeah. So that's what we were talking about back then. Um, and since then, I've been a member of. Sierra Club off and on, Nature Conservancy and organizations like that. But I didn't really get motivated to get off the couch until probably the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. And that was a result, probably directly result of, of uh, Al Gore's movie, you know, Inconvenient Truth. Right. That, that really kind of, um, struck me as that okay it's time you you've given your twenty dollars a year to these organizations <laughs> for a long time but it's time to to get uh, get off the seat and start you know taking some personal action and cool. gosh it, it's ever since then i've been involved with a variety of different organizations here in town from the original green convene to um oh yeah do you remember that remember that uh, yeah yeah i remember that uh, to um, uh, transition organizations, uh, food literacy projects, uh, other things like that. And, and in probably, I guess 2014, 2015, I started going to regular Sierra Club meetings. And um, as you know about nonprofit groups, we tend to volunteer our leaders as opposed to having to fight off everybody who wants to be a part. You know, we have more trouble finding people to get involved than we do um, fighting them off <laughs> because yeah. there's just so many. 
but uh, yeah, and and uh, I found it very interesting as a way to get involved, and here I am still. Wonderful, wonderful. What a rich history. It's such a privilege now to have you here on the program. We're going to talk more about uh, some of the Sierra Club's priorities, including electric vehicles. It's going to be a big topic of our conversation today. Local priorities for sustainability. We're going to talk a little bit about how we connect the social and the ecological, uh, a little bit about politics and even some habitat improvement at home, if we have time for it all today. Yeah, a Uh, lot of stuff. I know, I know. It's all really good, though. I'm so glad we're getting to do this. But before we dive into all those topics, Terrell, I I really need an update since I was trapped at home from COVID. I wasn't able to go. But just last week, y'all had your, your annual picnic and it was back in person for the first time in many years. And I want to hear about your your speaker, Monica Unseld from Until Justice Data Partners. Tell me about it. Yeah, Monica's uh, Monica's great. I'm granted to Monica for the first time. Oh, I guess it was in May, April or May of this year. I attended a, a conference that was put on here in, in Louisville by a national environmental justice group. And there were a number of folks there from um, Change Today, Change Tomorrow, Monica Unseld from Until Justice Data Partners. The Center for Neighborhoods was there with their GPS data person showing us some really cool maps about what's going on where in the town and and where some priorities might be. But anyway, I sat in on a meeting with Monica and she was talking about how it was fascinating. Uh, She was talking about how social media like uh, WhatsApp has become so important when people go to the street for protesting. They can they can organize around that. They have leaders that communicate via WhatsApp. And those what's really interesting is those WhatsApp communications are encrypted. And she was talking about how in some places around the country over the last couple of years with the um, Black Lives Matter and all the uproar about too many deaths in the black community at the hands of the police, how that. the actual law enforcement would monitor Facebook and Instagram to sort of see where the where the um, the focus of that particular group is to maybe head them off to um, interfere perhaps with their right to march and and right. speak freely in public. So that WhatsApp and other apps um, allow for some privacy, but besides all that. Um, Monica is a really, really good speaker. She tells a great story and tremendously engaging. We had, unfortunately, we had, we had limited our, our, we were hoping to limit our crowd to 40 because of COVID, but we actually had closer to 50 in the room. So I think our in-person experiment was good. It was a great turnout and great um, topic. But uh, I think we're, we're going to cancel our August program in person and go back to virtual because of our current red status here in yeah. Louisville with COVID BA5 variant. So, yeah, no, I didn't have it. I had it too, and that's no fun. <laughs> it's not fun. Uh, well, Monica, talk, Monica talked primarily about the uh, Louisville Charter for Safer Chemicals. Are you familiar with that? I only read about it in your announcement for the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, for the event. Yeah, go ahead. Tell us about it. But I'll read you the, the bullet points real quickly. But it's it's a really powerful document that was uh, that was written by folks 
in in the in West Louisville React until Monica partnered with that uh, and and others as well. Uh, number one, address the significant impacts of chemical production and use on climate change. Mm. Two, uh, prevent disproportionate exposure of hazards and reduce cumulative impacts in environmental justice communities. Require safer substitutes and solutions to a non-toxic economy. Use scientific data to support health-protected policies and practices. Take urgent actions to stop productions and recover chemicals that are unsafe and accumulate in the environment. Act with foresight to protect health, to prevent pollution. Take immediate action to protect, restore, and strengthen communities. Uh, ensure the public workers fully have the right to know and decide about what's being put in their environment and incentivize responsible business and safer chemicals. And finally, to build an equitable health-based sustainable economy. Wonderful. So you can, you can get linked to this document at uh, untiljusticedatapartners.org if you want to see that. But uh, Sierra Club Louisville Group is going to endorse this document and uh, and add it to our, our uh, library of good things to do to make the community a better place to live. Fantastic. That sounds like such a great uh, annual picnic. And uh, you mentioned your, your monthly programs. My guest today here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, is Terrell Holder, chair of the Greater Louisville Sierra Club. And on our community calendar, you'll always hear about the upcoming monthly uh, gatherings and always have fascinating speakers uh so you could plug what's coming up for sure do you know who, who our next yes, speaker is yes yes um matter of fact this is a very um current and important topic uh, jeff frank from friends of floyd's fork is going to be our guest speaker and he's going to discuss the uh Friends of Floyd's Fork and other organizations in that Floyd's Fork watershed that are trying very hard to put development policies in our land development code that will strengthen the protections for this watershed. Um, the parklands of Floyd's Fork is a fabulous facility. I cannot tell you. I love to take people out there. I've been... I don't bike that much out there, but I walk out there a lot. And, and there's so many beautiful places to go. It's a huge benefit to the community as a whole, even though there's no transportation, public transportation available to get there right. if you don't have a car or whatever. But uh, it's a fabulous resource. And as a result of the resource, it's also been a bit of a sprawl magnet. Yeah. Okay. So everybody wants to go live in the country <laughs> in this great little watershed. But the fact of the matter is we have two wastewater treatment plants and up to, I think, 3,000 new home sites on the drawing board in the watershed. And not only does that create uh, pressure on the on the wastewater treatment, it also creates a more permeable surface, more roads, um, more runoff from yards, uh, particularly nutrients and, and pesticides and things like that. So Jeff's gonna talk about the plans in, in the works right now in Louisville to protect this watershed from Oldham County all the way to Bullock County. 
Wow. In a in a um, uh, a sensible way. Jeff's going to be talking with us virtually on the second, the first, uh, second, third Tuesday, which is I believe August the sixteenth. So it comes early this month. Is that correct? Uh, August sixteenth. Yes. Yeah, right. I'm looking at my calendar. Yeah. And but people, it, he's a great speaker, Jeff. I'm I'm, I'm going to struggle to keep him on topic because <laughs> he's got lots to talk about and loves to to speak, and he's great to listen to. So. And folks who want to participate in that, you don't need to be members of the club. It's open to the public. You can always find the link to join, or if it is in person again, the location at sierraclub.org slash Kentucky under the events listings there, or also I'm sure on Facebook, facebook.com slash Louisville Sierra Club. Correct. Um, so that's great. And the, re- the reason I was uh, bringing up these monthly programs is I had the honor of being one of your guest speakers <laughs> recently uh, talking about uh alternative transportation if you want to call that or transportation alternatives here in louisville uh and it stirred up a lot of very strong feelings because um i've always been very unapologetic about my resistance to uh, cars of all kinds no matter how you power them uh i see some advantages of electric vehicles but i don't i don't see them as a sustainable solution and that that sparked some really interesting conversations in the moment and afterwards and i thought this would be a great opportunity for us terrell to to follow up on that because um uh, you know sierra club is certainly not the only group locally or nationally or globally that is pushing electric vehicles as a lot of people are making it sound like the key to tackling climate change uh obviously it's just one important tool in the tool belt but uh, electrification more broadly as well, not just vehicles, right? Um, a lot of people see a lot of hope in that as a, as a way to rapidly get us off of fossil fuels. And so Sierra Club has invested a lot of energy in promoting electric vehicles, both you know, indiv- in terms of individually and then in terms of policy and infrastructure and all that as well. So um, why don't you start out um, explaining why, I, I kind of just put it in my own words, but from your perspective, Terrell, why you think electric vehicles are such a key to a more sustainable future? You know, this is, um, as you probably know, the, the whole discussion around the best path forward is very complicated. Yeah. Okay, we've got a, um, a system in place that we may not like, but it is, it is what it is. <laughs> and um, electric vehicles is just, are just one piece of the puzzle. I think that from our perspective, the idea that more electric vehicles on the road creates less um, pollution producing chemicals like um, NOx, sulfur dioxide, things like that, that, that create air pollution in our city. And air pollution is, is bad for the health. So in the, in the very sim- simple view, electric vehicles cut down on, on local air pollution, first of all. Secondly, they um, reduce our use of, of fossil fuels, which in general create, in addition to air pollution, they create carbon pollution as well. So it's a, from our perspective, it's a way to reduce those environmental chemicals in the air. Um, I realize also that, um, <laughs> that the, 
the chemical or the plants that make lithium ion batteries mm. uh, are not the cleanest plants. Mm. You know, the workers in those plants are subject to, you know, highly toxic chemicals when in the, in the process of manufacturing these powerful batteries. But it seems to be, it seems to me that the, the country, the state, and the world, in a, in, in, at least in the Western world, are really ramping this up. And you made some comments that were, that were very, and, and you can actually please repeat them, the, the negatives of electric vehicles throughout the entire uh, life cycle including the danger on the roads that hasn't been reduced. But the main reason we support electric vehicles is because it reduces pollution locally and it reduces dependence on oil and reduces CO2 in the atmosphere at some point. So that's our primary platform on that, but it's not necessarily a perfect solution. It's clearly not a perfect solution, right. but it's in line with the path that our society is currently on. And we don't seem to be turning away from that very rapidly or with any kind of intensity. So it's, yeah. it's a sustainable development path, which is a good thing. But then again, it has its own issues. There's so many people making claims that electric vehicles get us off fossil fuels. That's only true if our electricity is not generated by fossil fuels. And that is not the case in Louisville, Kentucky. Right, Terrell? That is correct. And a while back, I did a little research and wanted to know for myself whether it's better for me to drive a, an all-electric vehicle or a hybrid, plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. And, uh, and keep in mind, I could, I could ride a bike, but I'm 70 years old. I don't have as much energy for getting around and on my bike as I used to. I would take the bus, but the bus system here is, is, is very limited. You know, I can't get to where if I wanted to, if we if I was going to go and meet you at Fourth and Broadway for this interview, which were virtual, but if I were going to meet you at Fourth and Broadway, I could drive to Fourth and Broadway in my uh, little Prius and be there in about thirty minutes and be home in thirty minutes. If I were to take if I needed to take a bus, it would take me an hour each way, not including the time in between buses that I would have to wait. Right. So you're talking about uh, a, a basic, the difference between an hour and a half commute time and a 30 minute commute time. So it's just a, a, a use of time thing, but um, yeah. But yeah, yeah that's, um, did, I, did I skip over the question? No, you, you did <laughs> and you jumped into some other things, but uh, let, let's drive it home. Electrification, oh, yes, is a solution for climate change. If our electricity is produced by renewables, Correct. which which is very much within our grasp as a species, we have the technology and yet we have intransigent power companies that refuse to take climate change seriously. We have a president who will say there's a climate emergency and refuses to declare a climate emergency, granting him the powers that he has in our constitution to actually take real action on this. So to me, to invest billions of dollars in another electric solution for us, while we're busy mining coal 
and fracking for natural gas to generate that electricity. This is not sustainability, Terrell. Correct. I agree, hundred percent. And um, the 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 math that you do to determine whether a an electric vehicle or a plug-in electric vehicle is the best solution relative to a, a, a gas vehicle is in Kentucky. If you, it's probably greener to get a plug-in hybrid because the electricity here is produced primarily by coal and natural gas, and the emissions is less with a, a plug-in versus all electric vehicle over time. But the, uh, like you said, electrification is at the, you know, we're on the cusp of having more and more and more uh, solar, wind, wave, um, geothermal. There's lots of opportunities for green electricity that are out there that we could actually implement if we had the policy um, goals if we had the will from the government, which we don't, particularly here in Kentucky. It's a terribly sad situation, but uh, there's things that we can do to make it better over time. Right. And sooner or later, sooner or later, I think we will move that direction. But it's, it's a big change. For example, if we wanted to get wind energy to Kentucky that's being produced in Texas and, and Illinois and Wisconsin, Minnesota, the Midwest wind belt, we need um, high voltage DC transmission lines that come to us yeah. because to deliver that energy is, is just not possible right now with the infrastructure that we have in the grid. Also, we're, we're blocked by um, the political process here in Kentucky. They, you know, they're protecting coal at every turn. They're protecting uh, fossil fuels at every turn. And there are things that we can do long-term that they can turn that around. But um, I guess I would say bottom line is electrification is coming. When and where, I don't know. But um, on top of in better public transportation, on top of better bike and pedestrian infrastructure, people are gonna still need to get around of using vehicles, they're not going away. And in our minds, electric vehicles are better than gas gasoline vehicles. And also, there's a thing. There's 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 um, fuel cell vehicles that are also um, incredibly viable and will take a market share. So, yeah, I do. I do see some of the advantages of electrification of electric vehicles. The 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 lack of idling alone is fantastic. Sure, sure. <laughs> like the fact that we don't have to burn fossil fuels just while we're sitting there uh, waiting to pick up our kids at school. I see that all the time around here, people idling their internal combustion engines and destroying the planet and polluting the air that those kids have got to breathe. Right. right. Uh, and worse, we don't need to have diesel um, 18 wheelers idling at restaurants. We don't need to have school bus school buses idling at the school while they wait for kids. There's no reason for a diesel engine to have to stay on, even though people think it's more efficient in terms of their fuel usage, which uh, it's not. Uh, there's a myth out there that, that creates these 
massive idling that's totally unnecessary. So yeah. So I definitely look for the day when our, you know, our trucks, when our ambulances, when our buses are are electrified. I think that's great. And I, and we're running out of time for this topic because we have so many other things to, to say, but I'll always argue that we should be investing our public resources when it comes to transportation in solutions that serve everybody and that really do improve things like transit. You mentioned how horrible transit is in Louisville. This is intentional. This is racism. This yeah. is policy. This is not because transit inherently sucks and Terrell would never dream of taking a bus of course he would if it worked oh yeah i i took the bus when i worked downtown i took the bus all the time uh, yeah and and, that, and the bus system that we have is not horrible it's just so limited it's right. it's it's limited in its geographical scope and it's limited in its frequency and it's yeah. limited in the time it takes between buses so right. there's a lot of improvements there but what the, i will point out that tark does a really good job with what they have their wishes for a better system are not what's holding them back. It's the willingness of the community to pay more taxes to support more routes and drivers. And same thing's true with bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure, right? Like when that looks amazing in a city like Madison, Wisconsin, where I lived for a decade, people don't even think twice about jumping on a bike to get across town because it's safe and convenient and even in a place really cold like Wisconsin is worth doing that instead of <laughs> firing up your car and finding parking. It's such a headache. So these are examples of ways we can invest in a truly sustainable transportation system. Uh, for me, all the conversations in, in, in a place like Louisville, especially uh, about, well, we just got to electrify this broken system. To me, that's not a sustainable solution. And, and again, we could spend the whole hour just talking about this, but I'm glad we did get time to talk about it. My guest here on Sustainability Now today is Terrell Holder, chair of the Greater Louisville Sierra Club. You can find them at sierraclub.org slash Kentucky. They are a proud forward radio community partner, one of our local nonprofits that supports the station. And uh, I can't believe it's taken me this long to get a Sierra Club rep onto my program. It's about time. So let's talk about besides transportation, Terrell, Let's talk about what should be some current local priorities for sustainability in your mind and the mind of the club. Yeah, it's a good topic. And I would also like to throw out a concept called, uh, you know, there's no silver bullets, but there's lots of silver BBs. <laughs> yeah. And so little things matter. Yeah. Our personal behavior matters, uh, whether we um, choose to run to the store to get one item or go to the store and buy 50 items to save trips. And, you know, there's lots of things we can do both at the personal level, the local level and government level. But, um, yeah, the, um, the, what I think, at least this is me personally, my feeling is that Louisville is small enough still that I think we have hope to make some very important changes over the next couple of decades in the sustainability arena. We are not growing like Austin, Texas, supposedly it's big ass green town, mm. you know, but I went through Austin this year and it's huge. They're building <laughs> interstate flyover ramps left and right. Massive buildings are going up downtown shopping centers. I mean, the, the urban area has expanded now from Austin all the way to Round Rock, you know, 30 miles north. 
Wow. It's a huge city of 3 million people that is growing at a 30% clip um, every 10 years. So we're talking about a city that's going to double in size by from 2010 to 2030. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It, that's not green. But Louisville, on the other hand, we're growing at a nice, modest pace. Um, we haven't used all of our green space in our county. Um, the community itself is small enough where we get to know people yeah, in right. all corners of the town on a personal basis. So the, the foundation of our sustainability needs in Louisville, as I can see it, is that we're not too big to succeed. Okay, so one of the one of the primary, obviously, transportation is is, is an important piece. Um, but I think that from a sustainability standpoint, our biggest one of our biggest challenges is to unite the community. Yeah, this is a still a separated, segregated community where, um, and I don't have the numbers here, but a high percentage of the um, African American and and people of color live in West Louisville. About sixty five thousand people live in that part of town, and ninety percent are people of color. Why is that the case today? Why are we still separated? What are the barriers to that isolation? And when we look about look at um, obviously housing is an issue. There are legacy racism issues that we still have to deal with that, that has become such, I can't believe it's become so politically charged. Uh, you've had Black Lives Matter, then, then Blue Lives Matter, uh, All Lives Matter. And we can't really, we don't wanna face the fact that the systemic reasons for segregation in Louisville are still there. Mm. You know, they're still there. And we've made an effort um, over the last couple of years to reach out, and which is one of the reasons we brought Monica in. She's a, a bright, experienced environmental justice advocate who can tell it like it is to the mostly white Sierra Club um, membership. Mm. And we have reached out to make connections. We are making connections. And what we want to do is discover the, the, the barriers to a united community and address those barriers. We don't know, we haven't done that research yet. I mean, obviously some of them are gonna be pretty, um, pretty easy to identify. Others will be less easy because there's a lot of subtle racism that we don't hear on the news all the time. It's not about um, um, uh, redlining as much as it is cultural misunderstanding, things like that. So um, uniting the community around the ideas of clean air, clean water, sustainability, and climate. And there are tons of people in West Louisville that are on the spot. They know this stuff. They're working with this stuff. They talk about it in the same language that that we in the in the white community talk about it. So we're very hopeful that we can make progress over the next few years. And not us. 
It's not us making progress, the Sierra Club. It's us getting in the ring and asking what we can do. How can we can how we can help? We know that that the folks like React, um, um, Play Cousins Collective, Change Today, Change Tomorrow. They're out doing the, out, out there doing the right things, and and we need to get on board with them and help them whatever they want us to do. So that's primary. Um, second is probably in my mind it's it and it's directly related to the to the um, the segregation issues the racial issues is industry in downtown Louisville Rubbertown all through the, the what is it Park Hills area of of Louisville they got two or three thousand acres of industrial right in the middle of the city um, uh, it's it's just unacceptable that how did that happen? Okay, Justin, how did we allow this this toxic these toxic industries to to locate right in the middle of the population? Well, it, it probably it happened before we were woke to the environmental issues, or if we were woke to it, they went in without telling us. You know the the. The, these manufacturers know what they've got. They know the, the, the toxicity of the substances that they uh, emit through the air and water, and yet they do it anyway. Yeah, this is really yeah. important, and I'm so glad you've connected some of the social and the environmental issues here, and that, that to me is the way out. That's what sustainability is all about. We protect what we love. We know Sierra Clubbins love the nature right we know we know they love the environment but we're not going to get to a clean environment and sustainability if we don't also love the marginalized communities where we consider them sacrifice zones and we it's okay to have a rubber town polluting their air their water their soils uh, because we can just write those people off so we have to extend our love to these marginalized communities if we want to get to sustainability. And again, I loved what you said about letting those communities lead us uh, and find a way forward. We're, we're nearly out of time. So many great issues. I just wanted to maybe end on a little little what you can do at home. Uh, you know, Sierra Club folks are always doing cool things at home to protect the environment. So you want to talk a little bit, Terrell, about habitat improvements you can do right in your yard? Yeah, this is this is great. I, I, we can talk about energy efficiency and windows and, and insulation till the cows come home. I think we've done a really good job with, um, with renovations and, and new buildings with a very, very good uh, energy efficiency. Thing. But what really is stirring me right now is the idea that we've lost uh, 3 billion birds since 70, since 1970, when I was a kid. We've lost, and, and there's, there's indications that there's a mass reduction in the biomass of insects in the world. Some people say insect Armageddon. I don't know that I'm ready to say that yet because... I've got mosquito bites all over me from the last time I took a walk in the woods. So, um, but I think one of the things we can do right now is, is reduce our landscape, our yards, reduce the area of lawn that we have. And um, you can do this 
10 square feet at a time. You don't have to, and a lot of people look at yards like, um, I've got friends whose names I won't mention, but, but you know who I'm talking about that have their entire yard is growing with flowers and vegetables and they attract birds and insects. But what we can do right now, 10 square feet or excuse me, 10 by 10, 100 square feet at a time in our yard is plant uh, butterfly gardens, is plant pollinator gardens, use native plants instead of nursery plants because they are absolutely designed to attract our native species of insects. And we have, you can't imagine hundreds of species of pollinators, not just butterflies, not just bees, but uh, other kinds of flies, uh, beetles, any number of things. And those bugs have a life cycle and they produce larvae that the birds eat. So create a, a habitat, an ecosystem where it's actually functioning in your yard. Uh, there's, a, there's a program that uh, actually you guys were part of the sponsor, Doug Tallamy last week, which I saw. It's beautiful. Um, the, the most fun I had was looking at all those different kinds of caterpillars. Amazing. And why the caterpillars are such good food. But <laughs> plant food plants in your yard that feed the bugs. And those bugs will feed the birds and maintain biodiversity, which is, which is uh, incredibly important. National, what is it? The Homegrown National Park. I haven't put my yard in yet, but it will. I will get it in there. Um, my yard is a Kentucky native habitat, and it's also, I think I, years ago, I got in the world uh, wildlife, world WW, World Wildlife Federation yep. uh, habitat. So there's all kinds of guides out there. It's easy to do. You don't have to cover your entire yard, but, you, but a little bit here, a little bit there, in addition to your yard, will, will make a lot of difference. Yeah, and have, make your insulate your house and upgrade your windows. Turn your thermostat down. Um, think about solar on your home, and uh, those are the kinds of things that we can really do that make a difference. That's right. You can take action that will help reduce your utility bill, save you money, uh, and also take action in your yard to reduce the amount of mowing you have to do. That'll save Absolutely. you money. That'll save you time. And it'll make your property more productive. Lawns are a problem because it, we are taking up space for no reason other than possibly an aesthetic one. But nature doesn't have to look ugly to you. You, you can welcome it into your home and it will help heal you as well as your neighbors. It's so important. I'm so yeah, glad you mentioned that. Absolutely. What, what a great way to end our all too brief conversation, Terrell. This was wonderful. Thank you yeah, so much thank for, you. for taking the time to join me here on Sustainability Now. And uh, I hope to get you back on again because we clearly yeah, have so there's, much there's a lot about. more to talk about. Um, <laughs> and the things that we do in our personal lives are all win, win, win. That's right. So That's none right. of this stuff that, that we suggest for uh, home energy improvements, habitat improvements, uh, transportation improvements like biking and walking instead of driving when you can, um, they all have multiple benefits and, and hardly any downsides, so, or no downsides to speak of in the simple things.
That's wonderful. Thanks, Daryl, so much for coming on Sustainability Now. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, I got your community action calendar, a whole bunch of ideas about how you can get engaged in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friend. I was a child, I walked these hills, drank from the streams, and heard the whippoorwills, and I ran through the fields just as fast as I could, through rocks in the creek, from the deep green woods, climbed up on the mountain, there as fresh as could be. Then my Kentucky soul fly free, fly free, fly free. Down from the Ohio to the big sandy, and up in the mountain holler, down to the big city. Gonna let my Kentucky soul fly free. Now I'm a man, I live in the big city It's a crazy life, don't bother me Cause deep down inside, I'm still a country boy You know I gotta get back to where I was born Down by the rivers, where I long to be Kentucky soul fly free, fly free, fly free down from the Ohio to the big sandy and up in the mountain hollow down to the big city. Gonna let my Kentucky soul fly free. Get it now. gentle breeze helps me feel the love and all my family when Kentucky you're always home to me fly free fly free down from the Ohio to the big sandy and up in the mountain island down to the big city Kentucky soul fly free, fly free, fly free down from the Ohio to the big sandy and up in the mountain holler down to the big city. Gonna let my Kentucky soul fly free, gonna let my Kentucky soul fly free. Let my Kentucky soul fly free
And we are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, on your community radio station, WFMP Louisville, broadcasting at 106.5 FM and live streaming to the world. Well, I hope you've got your calendars out and your pencils sharpened. This could be the week of action for you for sustainability. A couple things to let you know about, maybe remind you of before we dive into our calendar this week. There is a brand new library in town that you all should support and patronize. It's called the Louisville Tool Library over on Logan Street in beautiful Shelby Park. And it had its grand opening back on July. Community-based 501c3 nonprofit lending library dedicated to accessibility of resources, waste reduction, and growth through education. Now, it operates similar to a traditional book-filled library, but instead of books, members of the Louisville Tool Tool Library are able to borrow household items such as gardening gear, sewing machines, drills, painting supplies, shuffles, other hand tools, and so much more. You can learn more about the library and how to support it by donating your tools, your funding, your volunteer time, or just becoming a member at louisvilletoollibrary.com. Get into sharing. That's what the sustainable future is all about. I also want to let you know that the Parks for All Equity Initiative is seeking your input. The Parks Alliance of Louisville has partnered with Louisville Metro Council and is currently gathering community feedback to inform an action strategy for our public parks. Now, the goal is to ensure that the parks and neighborhoods with the greatest need are prioritized for the earliest investment. So you can help us out by sharing some information about the parks in your community by taking the community survey. You can find it at parksalliancelou.org, parksalliancelou.org slash parks dash four dash all. Parksalliancelou.org slash parks dash four dash all. All right, now let's look at that calendar for the week. On Tuesday, August 2nd at 3 p.m., it's the next in the series of Zoning Matters Conversations with a City Planner taking place out at the Western Branch of the Louisville Free Public Library. These conversations are part of the ongoing Land Development Code Reform. It's an equity-focused approach to revise our city's zoning laws consistent with Plan 2040 to allow for increased housing choices and opportunities in new and existing neighborhoods, to create procedures and regulations that are easy to use, and to increase the quality of life by reducing the concentration of environmental hazards near housing. Joel Dock from Louisville Metro's Office of Planning and Design Services will be available on Tuesday at 3 to 8 p.m to answer questions about zoning. What is it? Why does it matter? And to discuss the ongoing Land Development Code Reform Project. They want to hear about your neighborhood and discuss what the reform means for you. So come on out. Western Branch of the Louisville Free Public Library on Tuesday the 2nd from 3 to 8. And he'll be moving around to the other libraries right across the alley from us here at Forward Radio. He'll be at the main public library on August 8th from 3 to 8 p.m. That's Monday, August 8th, 3 to 8. Then out at the Southwest regional branch on august 23rd from three to eight and wrapping up in portland neighborhood the portland library on september 6th 330 to 8 for more information just go to louisvilleky.gov and search for land development code reform 
All right, also on Tuesday, August 2nd, also at 3 p.m., but this one's online. It'll be Stand Up for the Ohio River, a virtual community listening session. You can register for it on eventbrite.com. The National Wildlife Federation, Ohio River Basin Alliance, and other partners will be hosting this regional virtual listening session aimed at obtaining community input on local clean water and pollution prevention priorities. Priorities that will be woven into a regional 14-state plan to restore and protect the Ohio River ecosystem. The feedback from community members thus far has been inspiring. What water pollution problems are you most concerned about in your community and the Ohio River Basin? And what solutions should be prioritized? Join us via Zoom from 3 to 4.30 p.m. on Tuesday to make sure your voice is heard. Help set priorities to clean up and restore the Ohio River, its tributaries, and surrounding habitats. We have a once-in-a-generation opportunity here to stand up for the 14-state Ohio River region. With input and support from community members and partners, the Ohio River River Basin Alliance and the National Wildlife Federation are overseeing this process to craft a plan to protect and restore the Ohio River, its tributaries, wetlands, and surrounding habitats throughout the watershed. We want to make sure the plan is a bold and visionary one, an action plan that represents the priorities of the people and communities who live here. The restoration plan will address serious threats to fish, wildlife, and people, including problems such as sewage contamination, mining waste polluted runoff, and toxic pollution. The plan will also seek to reverse environmental injustices, including inadequate water sanitation services, unaffordable drinking water, and flooding concerns. The regional restoration plan will be delivered to the U.S. Congress in 2023 with the goal of securing new federal investments to implement the plan and to provide clean, safe, and affordable water to every person in the region. So join the call and have your voice heard. During the meeting, you'll hear about the restoration planning process and have the opportunity to provide input into the regional plan. Now to register and get the link to join for the Tuesday 3 p.m. event, you can go to eventbrite.com and search for Ohio River. And if you cannot make it on Tuesday or just prefer less screen time like I do, they'll be hosting an in-person session at the Community Boathouse right here in Louisville's Waterfront Park on Wednesday, August 10th, 6.30 to 8 p.m. And I'll have more on that next week. Now, also this week, there'll be an Energy Star Portfolio Manager training taking place Thursday the 4th, and then that's Portfolio Manager 101. 201 will be on August 18th, and 301 will be on September 1st. It's all 9 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at the Jefferson County Technical College, JCTC. There is free registration available for this. The Louisville Energy Alliance is excited to offer the next round of Energy Star Portfolio Manager training. Now, this is designed to assist local organizations starting their energy efficiency journey. In this three-part series, participants will learn everything from the basics of entering building and energy data into the software to the more advanced functions of setting goals and targets for their energy improvements. Technical experts will be assisting participants with their energy data and potential savings opportunities. You can attend all three to receive a certificate of professional development hours. And you can go to register for this for free at tinyurl.com slash pmtraining2022. tinyurl.com slash pmtraining2022.
Now, coming up Monday, August 8th at 5 p.m., it is the deadline to apply for this year's Neighborhood Institute. The fall 2022 class of the Center for Neighborhoods Neighborhood Institute is currently accepting applications through Monday the 8th. Neighborhood Institute is a no-cost leadership education program designed to equip neighborhood leaders with skills and resources needed to initiate positive change in their communities. Many alumni have gone on to do incredible sustainability-related community building work in their neighborhoods, and part of the curriculum includes a self-directed project in the community. Through the class projects, people become engaged in their community as they branch out and apply the information and knowledge from the class to real-life situations. Now, classes will begin on Tuesday, August 16th at 6 p.m. and continue every Tuesday until November 2nd. The application deadline for this fall's Neighborhood Institute is 5 p.m. on Monday, August 8th. You can learn more and apply at centerforneighborhoods.org. Lastly, I want to let you know that the Herbicide Free Campus organization is hosting its first ever Ground Up Advocacy Boot Camp. It'll be next Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's August 8th, 9th, and 11th online from 7 to 9 p.m. You can join Herbicide Free Campus for a cutting-edge advocacy training built for emerging leaders who seek to enact change on their campuses and communities through environmental and social justice advocacy. This remote training will emphasize coalition building, multimedia training, campaign strategy and volunteer recruitment in addition to herbicide specific topics upon completion of this course you'll be empowered and inspired to go forth into your respective communities and make change you can sign up for the boot camp at herbicidefreecampus.org and that's all the time we have for today here on sustainability now i want to thank you all so much for tuning in and i look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time my friends be well Shady grow my little love, shady grow my darling, shady grow my true love. Well, I'm bound for shady grow. Peaches in the summertime, apples in the fall.